Thank you for tuning in to The Black Print, where we build love for knowledge relating to the Black experience, especially the written word. I'm your host, Ashley, and you're now listening to Season 1, Episode 2, where we will talk about Yah Jesse's second novel, Transcendent Kingdom. Transcendent Kingdom is the journey of an immigrant family as seen through the eyes of Gifty, who is the youngest child and only daughter. Gifty's parents arrived in the United States from Africa with big hopes of raising their son and eventually Gifty to the best of their ability. But through a series of unfortunate events, everything they were working towards began falling apart. Both of the parents eventually find jobs. Mom works as a home health aide, assisting the elderly um, in their last days. And dad finds a job working as a janitor in one of the local elementary schools. Everything seemed to be working well until dad decided that he was going to go back to Africa just to visit. However, he never returned, which of course left an economic strain on the family. So mom is working more. The kids are um, all involved in either school or sports. Gifty's brother Nana was an excellent soccer player early on, but because he didn't feel fulfilled, he decided to quit, which was a surprise to everyone, coaches, teammates, and of course his mom. But mom decided, you know, if he isn't interested in it, I'm not going to make him do it. One day, Nana decides that he'll try to play basketball, and he has a similar success with basketball that he did with soccer. However, um, later in his high school years, I believe it was his junior year, he sustained a devastating injury and ended up becoming addicted to the pain medicine that was prescribed for him after his surgery. Nana would ultimately lose his life to his addiction. We'll go into this more later, but I'll just preface it with Um, His death as a teenager served as a reminder that we often send our deepest, most heartfelt prayers to God on behalf of our loved ones and hope that they're saved from their demons. Yet all of those prayers sometimes aren't answered in a way that we may understand. Sometimes God forgoes those prayers and forces us to salvage our own souls from the grips of our own demons. This is the perspective Gifty struggled with, yet it was her denial of her brother's demons and mom's denial that God was making them both face. In response to the death of her son, Gifty's mom, who was grief-stricken as a result, spent the remainder of her years battling debilitating depression. I mean, she would not get out of bed for days on end, sometimes even weeks, and From the beginning of the novel, she was very religious, but prayer, which once calmed her soul, was not strong enough to help her live again. So it was in a world where her son was no longer living, she seemed ready to die. And it was ironic that Gifty's mom worked as a caregiver to the elderly as they neared the end of their lives. Yet she struggled with the reality that her son battling drug addiction would require her caregiving in his final days. School was pretty much easy for Gifty, so it wasn't a surprise that she chose a really challenging field. What was surprising was that she chose the field of science, hoping to discover what could make an addict stop chasing their addiction at the expense of their own health. 
of course, as a result of her brother's um, addiction and demise. She toiled between her own belief in God and her belief in science as if these two separate entities could not simultaneously exist. When she finally discovered the question she sought the answers to, she remembered that the same God her mother taught her to put her faith in was the same God that existed in her connection to science. Though the feeling of involvement she once had in the church and in her faith wasn't the same, there was within her still the desire to worship. It just looked a little different. I spent the entire book silently rooting for mom and hoping she would get up. And when she finally did, it was a heavy weight of sadness that came. The longing for some sense of normalcy was long gone. And although Gifty knew it would never return, she still clenched on to hope. And she never completely grappled with her childhood trauma, but she was able to take one step at a time and move her life forward in the direction she thought was healthy and beneficial to herself. After reading this novel, it was very clear that Gifty's path in life was directly related to her response to her childhood traumas. Like I mentioned earlier, Gifty's mom was very heavy in religion and wanted her children to be that way as well. To the extent that when Gifty was young, she either thought she would be a dancer in the church um, or she would marry uh, the preacher. So she would be a preacher's wife. And even when she would write in her early journals, she always started with Dear God and then she would explain what was going on. But after tragedy struck, her course changed to the point where faith in God was rattled. And by the time her mother faces her mental health crisis, her home is Bibleless. She's not even um, thinking in terms of religion in the way that her mom had taught her to. It's easy to see that her response to religion was one of those things where we feel like if God doesn't answer our prayers or if these really bad things happen to us, then God must not be for us. And I think it was a good it was a good play on reminding ourselves that even though God doesn't give us what we may want, God always gives us what we need. And it may not be given to us in the time that we think we need it. But, you know, there's always that statement that God is always on time because God is always on time. So it was good at the end of the book to sort of see how religion played a role in Gifty's life. Although she never stepped foot back in a church, she did worship and praise God in her own manner. And that was Also a key point in letting us know that we don't have to worship in the way that we see others worship or in the way that even we were taught to worship, that your relationship with with God is between you and God. When it came to Nana's addiction, initially the response from Gifty and her mom was just to deny it as if the denial would make it go away or make it less significant. If they were to speak about it, it would make it real and make it harder to navigate. And the reality is the opposite occurred. Um, So oftentimes we think if we can keep something a secret, it won't get worse. 
And the reality is we never get the help that we need or that our friends or family need because we don't talk about it. And one of the big things about, I think, being in the church for Gifty's mom wasn't that she would get the help that her son needed, but more so she wanted to make sure she shielded them from it. So, you know, if he looked embarrassing or he looked strung out, she didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want to reveal it because it was embarrassing. And I think when it comes to your place of worship, however you worship, you have to lean on those people who can actually help you rather than live in a state of denial or secrecy about something as significant as addiction. When it came to mom's mental health, Gifty was very responsive to it as best as she could. Mom's depression was a very severe form of depression to the point where she wouldn't eat, she wouldn't get up. And it was very debilitating. And I think Gifty was easily pulled into her own version of depression when it came to her even discussing the state of her mom with people who were trying to be close to her. Gifty often pushed them away if they got too close. She did have one really good friend. I think Gifty would consider her a friend that um, no matter what, she sort of forced her way in. She specialized in mental health treatment. And to the best of her ability, she tried to assist Gifty in assisting her mom. And I think that that gave Gifty an outlet where she didn't have to hide anymore. She didn't have to hide the reality of what she was going through with her mom. And that sort of having that person to talk to, whether Gifty knew it or not, was helping alleviate her own mental health and stress. What Gifty also had to deal with in um, addressing her mom's mental illness was just thinking of the fact that her mom was no longer there for her. And so she sort of felt invisible. You know, you lost one child, but hey, I'm still here. You have another child. You can tend to, what if one day I have kids and get married and you know, I need you, so to speak. And the reality is, I don't think Gifty could understand, or maybe she did, how significant mental health is and that it's no longer, the person is no longer in control. So it's a question for anyone who's experienced mental health and is left wondering, why can't the person just snap out of it, deal with reality, no matter how challenging it is, all in the hopes of them returning to their former selves. What Gifty did try to do, playing on mom's deep belief and faith, she tried to read to mom from the Bible and it still didn't help because the depression had just taken over that much that there was absolutely nothing no one could do, just short of having her committed. Gifty's mom was committed maybe twice, once when Gifty went to visit relatives in Africa. Mom was committed to a hospital and her experiences there caused a lot of trauma. So she basically had Gifty promise to never have that happen to her again. When it came to family and the mere fact that Gifty's family immigrated from Africa, they did find a community in Alabama that was similar to their African community. 
and were able to have some sense of normalcy. When dad left and never returned, again, that that strain was unimaginable. And he went on to have another wife and other kids. And so you have Gifty who is left trying to figure out her place in his life, especially when she went to visit him after her brother's overdose. It was hard for her to deal with in terms of, you know, we were struggling, you know, we lost our brother. And yet here you are with another family living a great life and you forgot about us. It wasn't much shared on behalf of the dad's part. So it was hard to navigate and figure out his thinking and his thought process of how easy it became for his phone calls to start dwindling down from every day to once a week to once a month. It it was just hard to figure out what his thinking was in terms of the reality he was living with. For Gifty's career, again, she chose a field in which she hoped to find the answer to why her brother ultimately lost his life to his addiction and why the reward-seeking behavior that comes from an addiction was so ingrained in him that he just could not stop. No matter how many bad days he had, how many times he vomited on himself or, you know, got our, became irate with mom he just couldn't stop. So Gifty took her grave precision and intensity and sought to dissect the brain, understand habits, and hope to discover why someone will repeatedly put their body through such torture or their loved ones through such torture. It was through that that Gifty was able to find some level of normalcy and even acceptance about what happened to her brother I guess you could think of it more as closure she was able to sort of figure out okay this is why he became addicted and this is why he kept returning to his addiction even after um, some short periods of being relatively drug free Gifty's biggest issue was that she would not let anyone in she would share or could share everything with them but she would not share her mom's mental health struggles, or her brother's overdose and addiction. Those things were off limits. So whenever in any relationship, you're expected to have some level of sharing in those initial get to know you phases. When Gifty wouldn't share, what happened is she just put up a wall and no one can run through a brick wall. When you're faced with that brick wall, what do you do? You walk away. And so a lot of her experiences around love, people walked away, which is kind of a play on how her father abandoned the family, but only she's forcing other people to abandon her because she's going to refuse to share no matter what you say. It was ironic that the person she did find love with, who she worked with, was someone who initially she was kind of, I wouldn't say repulsed by, but definitely not on the love radar. So that twist was kind of cute. When it came to romance and love, if you haven't already read Transcending Kingdom, it's definitely worth the read. I would say initially it was hard to get into because it kind of bounces from present reality back to the past. It becomes easier to navigate through the different periods of time that Gifty's going through. 
As always, thank you for listening to today's episode. Make sure you review, subscribe, and share. You can follow me on Instagram at Ashley Cobb Writes or at blackprint.thepodcast. That's B-L-K print.thepodcast. If you have a dope idea or would like to be on a future episode, feel free to reach out. Until next time, I'm your host, Ashley.